A good Thursday, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. I'm your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com. And welcome back. A couple weeks off. Apologize for that. Uh, every Thursday always seems to get crazy in the world of politics or otherwise, uh, holidays, etc. Hopefully we're going to be more consistent as we move forward through the, uh, through the late spring and, uh, summer. Big show coming up. Just, we are coming into crunch time uh, in Albany, and there's always something interesting going on. For those out there, not from New York, but maybe you're connected to New York somehow, you're thinking, you know, we don't understand this whole enigma that's Albany. So there's a, there's so much that Albany can do to help you or hurt you, I think, as an individual, because local politics really has the most effect when we think about it. And we, well, a lot of us think about the big picture, but local politics really matters so, so much. We're going to talk about a lot of things. We're going to focus on Albany at the beginning. And then I'm going to kind of switch gears, talk about the presidential race towards the end of the show and just uh, a lot of thoughts that I've been having over the uh, over uh, recent time with regard to the presidential race. But first, I want to welcome uh, our sponsor and thank our sponsor, Beckerman PR, Beckerman Public Affairs, building market leadership and reputation through strategic communications. Tell your story with Beckerman, BeckermanPR.com. We got that out of the way, Rami. And uh, let's move on to our first guest we have on the line. Uh, Jacob Adler is director of policy for New York State for the Orthodox Union. And not only was uh, covering New York State, but yesterday he was in D.C. So he was uh, with the upper echelons of the federal government. And I wanted to tell us about that and then transition to crunch time in Albany, which is the end of the session. The June month is traditionally when a lot of things happen. And this is a particularly interesting year, given all that we've talked about with regard to the leadership changes in both the Assembly and the State Senate. Jacob Adler, welcome back to Spin Class. Thanks so much for having me on again. So, Jake, first, let's just talk about the OU leadership mission that took place on Wednesday, June 3rd, which was yesterday, uh, to Washington, D.C. Uh, do, do you come back to New York with any fresh perspective on the federal government or on the Obama administration or on any other issues? You know, I, um, it was a great day yesterday. Uh, we had a, a very large crowd. And, um, you know, beyond before we get into what was said from the policymakers' perspective, I just want to say the, the leadership of the OU really mobilized for this mission. And, and I want to put a shout-out to Nathan Diamond, who's the executive director of the OU Advocacy Center, and Maury Litwack, who's the director of state political affairs, uh, and Miriam Harmer, who's our congressional director, they all did a fantastic job putting the leadership of the Jewish community really across the country into conversation with Senate and congressional and even White House leadership. And it was really, really inspiring to see that many people talking to that many, you know, people in leadership in Congress and in the White House. And, and beyond even just the policy, the fact that the Jewish community mobilized that significantly yesterday in the middle of a work week, uh, to go down to Washington and talk about issues that are of importance is, is really, really inspiring for me when I come back to Albany and come back to the city to do, do my work in the state level. So that was really, really great to see. Folks, Jake has taught us an important lesson there, and it is that you always thank the bosses. You know, we have the concept of Judaism of posting before Sanya. Jake has thanked the bosses first and foremost, and I think great political job, very diplomatic, Jake. I appreciate the, uh, I appreciate that. 
Go ahead. So uh, you were expounding even further on the on the mission. Yeah. So, so you know, we met with uh, thirty or thirty-five members of the House, and probably your twenty twenty or so senators joined us as well and gave their perspectives. Uh, really focused on three issues: number one, the Iran deal; number two, the Iran deal or lack thereof, I should say; number two, the uh, we were lobbying for increases to the Homeland Security grants, which many of our schools and schools rely on to secure their campuses. And number three, there's a, there's a new bill that we've been working on with some coalition partners to allow nonprofits to include uh, synagogues and churches and mosques to have access to energy efficiency programs on a federal level, which would save, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year if it goes through. It was, it was very, very interesting to hear from, you know, on, on the Iran deal, I'd say, if we can just take it point by point on the Iran deal, I think the the consensus is from from left and right, regardless of party and regardless of house, even that there's there's no way to allow a bad deal to happen here. The people who are more in the camp of of President Obama and pushing for a deal, even their perspective seems to have um, come come around a little bit more towards the. We have to make sure that if there is a deal, it is verifiable and that there are checks in place to make sure this actually works. And of course, you have the you know the other side of of the perspective, which is no deal is better than a bad deal. And I think not everyone is going to say no deal is better than a bad deal, but the implication is that we can't let a bad deal happen. So it seems to be the same thing, even if you're not going to put that into words because it's a a political hot button or a political you know, slogan for some parties and not the other. Very, very um, good to hear that from. I mean, we heard from Cory Booker, we heard from Rob Portman, we heard, we heard from everyone yesterday. And and the on Iran, it was pretty much one voice that there's no there's no room to to allow a bad deal to happen, and there's really should be no daylight between us and Israel. Well, it's easy to say, and it's certainly easy for members of Congress to say, but how does that trickle up to uh, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue? You know, we um, we actually met yesterday in the uh, old executive office building with the, sen- the excuse me, the president, the chief of staff. Uh, he he indicated the same thing that there's that it would be bad public policy to allow a bad deal to happen, and uh, it would be bad for the United States, and it would be bad for certainly bad for Israel, and, and they indicated to us that they're committed to not letting that happen. Well, um, does anybody ever say that we welcome a bad deal? Even if it was, a, in theory, a bad deal, they would call it a good deal. No, no you know, that's, a, that's of course, true. Um, and uh, I don't want to get uh, – I'm not a not an Iran specialist, and I don't want to – I don't want to go down the go down the rabbit hole of talking about the specific clauses that could or could not be in there. It seems to me on a on a um, more um, global level, everyone is committed to the same idea. They may disagree about how to get there, and that's that's really the job of the Jewish community to guide them into what what they should be thinking and how they should be acting. Fair enough. Okay. Any uh, any specific. Uh, highlights how many people from the New York metropolitan area made the trek down to D.C.? I'd say from New York and New Jersey, there's probably about 60 or 70. Nice crowd. Um, you know, that included the CEO, the executive vice president of the OU, Alan Fagan, Alan Menachem Gnack, who's the CEO of OU Kosher, 
um, and, and the, the, the leadership and the, and the boards of the OU and, and of many schools and schools as well. Um, from really from, from Long Island to upstate to, to Teaneck and southern New Jersey, everywhere, they were really all there. They all came out, and it was a very good show. Excellent. So, Jake, these days you spent most of your time in Albany. And uh, I think that it's fair to say there's a lot of action going on, and we're going to be speaking in a couple minutes to a member of the assembly who's going to fill us hopefully in on some of the insider, uh, some some other insider perspective. But as an advocate, June is really the time where things happen, or on the converse, they don't happen. So what's going on? What are the things of issues? What's high on your agenda? I know the education investment tax credit is high on the agenda. And uh, what are the prospects? A lot of people have been active on this uh, on this specific issue. What are the prospects? Uh, the governor has really taken uh, – Governor Cuomo has really taken it on to kind of push this forward uh, to the extent possible. But it still seems that the assembly, despite the fact that there may be a major- enough votes to pass it, in the assembly, uh, the assembly speaker, once again, it's a different speaker, is standing in the way. Right. And, um, you know, the, it's a different speaker, and it sounds a lot like the last speaker on some of these issues. But that's, that's I'll leave that to last. Um, in, in terms of June, we have, we're at, today's June 3rd, or today's June 4th, excuse me. Uh, we have about two weeks left in session. Um, June 17th is the last day. It's it's crunch time, and it's crunch time for us, and it's crunch time, frankly, for the teachers' unions on the other side of the issue. So everyone everyone's kind of up there and talking to the same people and trying to and trying to finish off session with a with a win. Um, you know, I look at this session. This is a very interesting year in Albany. We started out thinking that everything was going to be normal, status quo, and then obviously the speaker changed in the assembly. And then we had a budget, and we thought the budget was going to have the education tax credit, and many people were very upset, when uh, myself included, when it wasn't in the in the budget, even though we received tremendous increases in CAP and MSR and other funds that the schools do receive. And then, you know, we kind of trailed off and came back after Pesach, and some, I think some in the, in the advocacy world and some people on the street were wondering, okay, now what do we do? And, uh, you know, thank God... The OU and the UJA and our coalition partners really continued to push on this tax credit bill. Um, and you saw that in early May, as you mentioned, the governor rolled out a new version of the bill. And it kind of, you know, it kind of reinvigorated the communal um, focus on this bill. And now you have, I think the, the community at large is really firing on all cylinders here. If um, I, I'm not a betting man, and I don't want, I certainly don't want to bet on Albany because that's a, uh, so it's kind of like betting against yourself sometimes. But there, I think we are closer now than we've ever been, and I think it's just a matter of the the community and the Catholic community and the, the non-public school community at large um, utilizing their relationships correctly, you know. Uh, now is not the time to say someone else will do it. Now is not the time to say, don't worry, so Jake's in Albany or Jeff Webb from UJ is in Albany or or whomever else, now's the time to call your person, call your assembly member, call your senator, and and really, really push them. And what if they say, well, we're supportive already? What if they say, yeah, we're on, we're on the bill. We, we we want it to pass. What do you do then? Is there something you, know, you can do then? You, know, you call the speaker directly? We have a lot of friends in the community and outside the community who, who tell us, oh, I'm on the bill, I'm on the bill. It's not enough anymore to be on the bill. If you are 
if you are in the assembly and you're on the bill, you need to speak up in conference and you need to you need to be as vocal and as loud and as aggressive in support of this bill as as uh, as the opponents of this bill are. You know, a lot of there's a lot of hyperbole floating around from the teachers unions and from the opponents of really people people who oppose anything that our schools do or ask for. And they're making this bill seem like it is the it is the absolute worst thing in the entire world. And if you have a vocal minority of members in, in either house who are saying, oh, this is a terrible bill, and they're saying that to their colleagues, that has to be countered twice as hard, twice as loud by our allies. And, you know, thankfully, we have very good assembly members here, and in, uh, in, in certainly in Far Rockaway, where I am, and in the five towns, Assembly Member Goldfeder, Assembly Member Kaminsky, they are very strong on this issue, and uh, they, they are not people who are, I would say, Assembly Member Semanowitz and Queens as well. They are not people who are going to sit on their laurels and say, okay, we're working on it. They are pushing every single day. <laughs> and I see them when I'm in Albany, I see them frequently, and I can tell, I can see on their faces how hard they're working on this. Um, and it's not like this is the one bill that they have to work on. You know, they have a whole district to represent, and they're working on all of these issues, and they are working on our issues so hard um, that we should really be thankful to them. Um, that's, you know, if there's one message I could put out there today, it's that, it's that well, there's really two parts. But everyone needs to, to call their representatives, regardless of whether they support the bill or not. If they support the bill, they should thank them. Thank your assembly member for supporting the bill. And if they don't support the bill, you should ask them why they don't support the bill. But um, but we should we should be comforted if we can by the fact that we do have friends in Albany, and those friends are working very hard on our behalf. Yeah, and you have a great tool, uh, I think, on OU advocacy, correct? To go uh, specifically to just press a button, essentially just email all your uh, representatives immediately, and uh, the truth is they actually respond when you do that. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I don't have the link in front of me. I believe it's ouadvocacy.org slash EIPC. Um, certainly, if you just search in the OU Advocacy website for education tax credit, it'll come right up. Uh, basically, you, you click a button that says Take Action. You put your name and your address in, and you will generate a letter to your assembly member, your senator, um, and the governor, and it will go straight to them in their inbox. And it will Do say, people read you know, those? Either thank you for supporting or, or please Please make sure the tax credit bill happens. Do those do those get read? Do they do people actually read them? Is it people might think, ah, it's just a form letter. Why should I bother? You know, I, I spoke to a friend of mine in the assembly who mentioned that they had received something along the lines of between our system and the Catholic conferences system and the other um, alerts going out, they received something like six hundred emails in one day about their um, which is a tremendous increase from, from years previous where, where we really didn't have people sending in emails and people were really kind of just waiting to see what happened. So they are reading them. You know, I think, um, even if they don't read every one, because sometimes these messages come out as the same thing with a different name, the fact that they see 50, 60, 70 emails coming in a clip that says support the education tax credit, that alone is, is very effective for us. So I got to ask, with all this, with all this advocacy for the fact that this is really a 
issue that cuts across many different lines. It benefits public and private schools. It benefits so many people out there. The education budget is so huge, and this is such a small expenditure. In the end, it's, it seems like good policy. It's, it certainly seems to pass the constitutional test. Why is this not happening? Why is this not why is it so difficult to get something like this? We're only talking about, and I, you know, I hate it's real money, $150 million uh, of, of a state budget. That's $150 billion. Why right. is it so difficult to get this done? Why year after year do we see, oh, we're so close, but we seem not, it seems not to happen. I, I'm optimistic that it will happen this year, but why does it always, we always seem to feel that there is this intractable opposition? Who are the opponents, aside from the teachers' union, I'm talking about within the legislature, who are the people standing in the way? And how do we make, how do we, because uh, all politics is about pressure and different pressure points, how do we now, we, we talked about the supporters, how do we deal with the opponents? Well, let's be, let's be clear. We can say, aside from the teachers' unions, but if the, if NYSET, New York State United Teachers, and UFT were not uh, the, the, powerful juggernauts that they have established themselves over the last 40 or 50 years as being, there would be no opposition to this bill. As you said, it is good public policy. It passed the, it passed the constitutional test, okay, and it is, is a fraction of a fraction of, of a percent of the overall. But without, so without those teachers' unions and without the threat that the teachers' unions always, always put out to our assembly members and our senators that they will either primary them or they will they will send negative mail, or they will do X, Y, or Z. Um, without that threat, this bill would have passed already. So you know, I don't want to I don't want to get them let them off the hook. They I think there's there can be no question about it. The the United the UFT and the NYSIT unions in this state do not want you to send your kid to yeshiva. They do not want you to have a choice in where you send your child, whether it's Catholic school or Muslim school or Jewish school. They don't want it. So, And they are going to do anything in their power to stop you from having that choice. Obviously, for us, for you and for me, Michael, it's not a choice. We're going to send our kids to yeshiva either way. Um, and and that, they hate that. So what you're so, saying, Jake, for a second, you're saying that the teacher union would prefer that all the yeshivas close down and that everybody would go to public school instead. Yeah, you know, it's um, as, as ridiculous as that sounds because it would probably cripple a fair amount of school districts. And I'm not advocating that. Oscar Shalom, though, should never even countenance that idea. Okay? But the teachers' union looks at any dollar that is spent outside of the public education sector as a dollar spent against them and their members, which is, frankly, just absurd on a variety of levels, but not the least of which is that this money that would be um, put into the scholarship fund for the tax credit bill, whether it's under the Senate plan or the uh, McCusick bill or the governor's new bill, that money is not money that's coming out of any public school budget. That money is, is, is money that would be, it's money in potential, if I, if I, if you, would let me use that word. That's fine. It's money that hasn't even been into the tax rolls. So, so it's absurd to think that every dollar, it's not only are they saying every dollar of the education budget needs to go to our schools, they're saying every single dollar of revenue that the hardworking people and companies of this state generate in tax revenue has to go to our schools or you're an enemy of the public schools. 
which is absurd. It's absolutely absurd. Yeah, well, it's really it's really unbelievable. And I should actually point out a Quinnipiac poll that came out this morning that uh, voters, even amongst uh, voters across the state, 55 percent to 40 percent uh, uh, support the tax credits, even uh, even actually the t- what would be called the tax credit for the rich, because there are two pieces for the tax credit. And my last question for you is just to explain that uh, is that and Democrats themselves, just among registered Democrats, 49 percent in favor, 46 percent opposed uh, to that. So it's hard really for uh, people to hang their hat on the fact that people don't support this as a giveaway. Uh, because most most New Yorkers see the fairness in this uh, very clearly. Fifty five to 40 percent is a pretty significant number of any polling on any issue uh, in New York. But tell us for a second as we close this segment, uh, Jake, what are the two pieces? And we're talking to Jake Adler from the Orthodox Union. What are the two pieces of the tax credit? Because there was the original one, which is a scholarship tax credit. Then Governor Cuomo added a new facet to it. Yeah, so there, there was the original bill, which the Senate has repeatedly passed. Um, on their own, and the Assembly has been working on it for the last few years. That was Mike Cusick's bill. That bill was the scholarship tax credit, which in the firm community we know is the EITC or the education tax credit. So that basic bill would be would allow corporations to give a certain percentage of their New York State tax liability to a scholarship fund to then give scholarships out to multiple schools for kids that need kids with whose families are under a certain income threshold who need scholarships to help them pay for tuition. Governor Cuomo now coupled into his new Parental Choice and Education Act, which he rolled out in May, he coupled a new tax credit, which was also a bill that was being um, played with or worked on, I should say, in the Assembly, which would be a direct tuition credit to the parents um, for sending their kids. So that would be for parents. Who are making sixty thousand or less, sixty thousand dollars a year or less, they would get a five hundred dollar credit per child back um, on their taxes. Obviously, there's there's two segments in the community. There's the people in the community who say, "Oh my God, that's perfect for us." Depending on the sector, that's perfect. A lot of our parents fall into that income bracket. And then there's people who say, "That's not going to help us." Well, what what it is is it's there are parents who who fall into that income bracket and and. Although it's just five hundred dollars, it's a start. Number one, and number two, you know, it's 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 essentially the state saying that we appreciate what you're doing and it's good public policy for us to help you, even if it's small. So, you know, the the essential part of the bill still remains the scholarship tax credit. I think that's the more transformative part. Um, but this new this new bill, which would help low income families in the non public school sector, is is very um, encouraging as well, and hopefully. Um, with two weeks left in session, hopefully we'll be able to pass the, the overall bill and we'll bring home tax credits for our schools. I hope so. So everybody should do their part out there. And I actually want to just one piece of that uh, that poll that I neglected to mention, which I think is pretty astounding, is the second piece, which is the $500 credit for people of for low income families. That piece, particularly in New York City, where there is some very significant opposition to it, uh, voters support that 73 percent to 23 percent in New York City, upstate 60 percent to 37 percent in the suburbs, 67 percent to 30 percent, even amongst Democrats, 68 percent support that. 
to 28% oppose that. That's really, uh, those are incredible numbers. More than two thirds of voters are, uh, by two to one margin, are supporting this education tax credit. So you know, it's it really, the polling is really in favor. And Jake, you got, you, you got some work cut out for you. We sure do. You know what it really shows you though? That poll really clearly demonstrates that the people of the state of New York, okay, the people of the state of New York value non-public school education. And they, they value the hard work that the parents are putting in to put their kids in these schools. And really, it means that the teachers' unions are, are, are looking out for themselves at the expense of the majority of New Yorkers. And that's, that's what we have to fight against. Well, I'm shocked that anybody would be that, uh, that parochial, to use the right term, in, in their view, and not really look at everybody instead of only looking out for themselves. That's a crazy idea in politics, but we'll have to talk about that more philosophically at a different time. Jake Adler, Director of Policy for New York State for the Orthodox Union, thanks for bringing out these, these very important updates here on Spin Class. Thanks so much. Shabbat shalom. You too, Jake. Uh, this is Spin Class, and we're talking politics, and I want to welcome my good friend uh, and uh, frequent guest, uh, Michael Samanowitz, Assemblyman from Queens, who is joining us giving, from Albany, uh, giving us the insider scoop on uh, what's going on. Busy days, as Jake told us, in the Capitol, two weeks left to session, and there is just so much, so many balls up in the air, uh, Michael, and ha- I don't know how you sleep at all or sleep at night. Busy? What are you talking about? It's been quiet. It's just, there's nothing going on. It's like the, nothing the whole going on. <laughs> well, you must be missing it all, I guess. I, I only know what I read. Uh, Michael, first, first oh and foremost, oh my God, you can't you can't walk down a hall in Albany these days. Well, yeah, that's uh, and all those listening devices are certainly make it difficult as well. But uh, we'll we'll t- we maybe get touch on that a little bit later. But let's talk policy for a second. And uh, sure. Jake made some very good points, particularly his last one. Uh, we talked about. The opposition to education tax credits, and we uh, we uh, we want to. I mean, how, how do I phrase this question? What is it in your conference? And I, I'm not going to point the finger at you specifically, but the the fact is that most New Yorkers support this by a very wide margin, an incredibly wide margin. And I know you're one of the champions of this issue. You've been out there. You've been loud, uh, and, I, and I mean loud in a very good way, in a very positive way, on this issue. Why is this such a problem to get done? And, you know, the, the speaker, Speaker Hasty, the new one, uh, we thought, at least when he came in, that there was going to be more of an open mind on this issue. He had been on the bill, and now he seems to just be uh, doing everything he can to thwart it. So, listen, a couple of things. Number one, first of all, in, not, not that the speaker needs me to defend him, but in defense of the speaker, um, you know, I think the speaker fundamentally probably is um, still supportive of the concept, and I think he would he would like to be supportive. Um, but, you know, he's in a different well, position good. now. He represents a conference, you know, and, and, and there are 106 members of that conference, and he has to, you know, balance the wants and desires from, you know, all, all the different facets of that conference. And listen, as any politician will tell you, you know, the day they get elected, they start campaigning for their next election. So, you know, he's also in a position where he doesn't want to alienate members of his conference. You know, but, but, but I think the, the fundamental issue is, is that I think there's just, there's, there's a lack of education. You know, and, and I think people just don't understand what the bill does. I think there's been a lot of misinformation, um, you know, disseminated. Really sources, you know, this those whole concept that it's, oh, it's, it's, it's a windfall for the billionaires and, 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 you know, that's, that's just, 
blatantly untrue. It's, 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 you know, it, it, it doesn't, anybody who tells you that is just somebody who has not read the bill. And, you know, I've gotten calls from teachers saying, how can you support this bill? And I turn to them and I say, how could you not support this bill? This gives you a $200 tax credit. And like, really? It does? I didn't know that. So, you know, it, it's, it's, and by the way, the lack of education is on both sides of the issue. I mean, there are supporters of the bill who just aren't really fundamentally aware of what the bill does and how it benefits the community. Well, then is it a question of, it's a question of uh, public relations, it's a question of spin, it's a question of the facts, or it's a question of there are a lot of members out there who just don't want to hear it and are only going to toe the line on what the teachers union permits them to support and what, and I hate to put it in that, in the lines, but that seems to be the the real opposition. I, let's just assume that all of your colleagues look at things on the merit to a certain degree. They read the bills. They find out what exactly we're talking about. Because one of your colleagues was on a different radio show. Uh, I, I can advertise other radio shows. Leon Goldenberg okay. last last Saturday night. Uh, Rodney Spichette. And I couldn't believe how uninformed she was about the bill. I mean, she just about the education tax credit, whether it's Cuomo's proposal or the other or the original proposal. Right. Uh, I think that she was just beyond uninformed. So on an issue, on a, a very significant issue that's clearly making the rounds that everybody seems to know about. And far be I'm not trying to goad you into criticizing a fellow member, but. Why are people uninformed? Is is it are is the community or are the supporters or not doing a good job of explaining it? No, listen, listen to us. So, so to a certain extent, I think, um, you know, the, the this the show is called the Spin Class, right? So, so I think exactly. So, so I think to a certain extent, it's 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 which spin you choose to believe. Um, you know, and, and there is, there is, there are, uh, there's opposition to this bill that very vehemently makes the case that this bill is not going to provide benefit to, to, to individual parents. The money's not going to get where it needs to go. It's going to, it's going to, um, you know, it's going to benefit, uh, uh, parents who don't really need the benefit. For example, I, I, one of the arguments I keep hearing is that, you know, on the scholarship end of it, um, you know, parents earning up to, up to three hundred thousand dollars may be eligible for the scholarships. Now, you and I know a, a family of you know with four, with four kids or five kids in yeshiva, you know, three hundred thousand dollars is not a whole heck of a lot of money. It's not you know you're not you you you're not you're not you're not vacationing in the south of France every summer, you know, on three hundred thousand dollars. Um, but you know, there, there's, there's, there are cultural differences. There are there 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 are biases that are brought into the conversation from from various uh, talking points. There are a whole host of things, you know. And 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 I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna uh, attack a, a colleague or, or 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 a fellow assembly member for what they believe because they're entitled to their belief just as I am. All I'm gonna ask is that they have an honest and 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 truthful debate on the facts, not on the spin. You know, you want to take a bill and 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 break it down and go point by point. We can do that, but but to to throw out platitudes and and political spin is not going to accomplish anything. And I think that's what's important. I think that's what the governor tried to do. Um, you know, by inviting members to meet with him and the cardinal this past week. And I think one the, the big message that the governor tried to put out there was that you know. 
his bill is not set in stone. He he's ready to negotiate. He's ready to make changes to the bill. He's ready to 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 add or subtract things that people may find objectionable or may sweeten the idea. You know, one of the one of the big things that was discussed was was the whole concept of the sixty thousand dollar threshold. Um, you know, and the fact that there wasn't a uh, sliding scale for additional children for families with larger with 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 more children in the public school system. That's something the governor has said he's willing to negotiate, he's willing to talk about, he's willing to make changes to. So <clears throat> you know, and and this whole concept of the fat cat billionaires as some of the mailers want to paint this as. You know, the governor the governor said at at, at this meeting specifically that his bill will provide for the smaller contrib- contributors first and only once those contributions are, are taken into account and there's still some dollars left in the credit, then the, 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 big, the bigger donors would get, would get access to it. So, you know, I, I think if, if people sat down and had an honest debate and an honest discussion, I think we could very easily get this bill done before the end of session. Well, then let's hope that there are, in fact, honest discussions going on about this. What, what, is, the, what is the significance of a poll like the the Quinnipiac, and I don't know if you were on yet when I talked about the results of this Quinnipiac poll that was released this morning, but uh, I'm happy to go through some of the cross tabs with you. Um, you know that 68% of Democrats uh, support this the the $500 tax credit for those making yeah, less that's, than $60,000. That's, that's not surprising. And 49% to 46% support the scholarship tax credit. Um, and even in New York City, actually, that number rises to 60% versus 36%. So, you know, it's hard to say that it's hard to say that this doesn't work for a lot of New Yorkers, even New York City voters, even Democrats. Right. No, absolutely. And listen, I, I think that's starting to resonate. I think, listen, you know, personal opinions about polls aside, I mean, politically, polls are important to elected officials. They, 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 they read polls. They listen to polls. It gives them an idea of, of how the community feels on things. You know, elected officials constantly are doing, you know, sort of un, 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 unsophisticated polling, you know, by sending out questionnaires to their constituents. So there's definitely some value to that. There's definitely an aspect of, you know, the, the, the elected you know, trying to get a pulse on where their community is, you know, but there's been, there's been a lot of rhetoric on, bo- on both sides of the issue that has really clouded the, um, the conversation. And, you know, I think if presented with the numbers, and, and this Quinnipiac poll is, is, I mean, huge, you know, I'm sure it will be talked about in great detail on Monday when we get back to Albany, you know, it, it's, I think it, I think it provides you know, some enlightenment to some of my colleagues on where people are on this issue and how important it is in a lot of different communities. And it's not just the Jewish community. You know, there are communities all across the state. There, there, there are religious groups and, and non, and non-religious groups and it's, it, it, it spans the spectrum, um, the support for this legislation. And I think, you know, when push comes to shove, you know, this is, you know, it, this has been couched as an attack on public education. That's not what this is. It's not about that. We spend, you know, depending on on the number that you that you go by, anywhere from twenty three to twenty four billion dollars billion with a B a year on education. We 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 had earth shattering, record breaking increases of one point six billion dollars to education this year, and that's important. And 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 most of my colleagues, and I won't speak for all of them, but I tell you, most if not all, 
support increased funding for public education. We all want to see the public schools succeed, but we also want to see a small measure of relief given to those parents who are paying tuition on a on a on a yearly basis and are and are and are suffering un, under the under the burden that it's that it's causing them. Okay, so Assemblyman, let's let's switch for a second because I think we, sure. we 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 know the uh, we know the merits of this bill. There's right. there's certainly another bill that has been that yesterday had some action to it. Uh, How did I know where you were concern. going? Excuse me. How did I know where you were going? How do you know where I was going? Yeah, I'm so transparent. As to you are. Uh, a, a particular concern to the Orthodox community, and that is, I think, for lack of a better word, known as the East Ramapo oversight bill and we've kind of exhaustively talked about the East Ramapo situation here on this show uh, over the last couple of years and it's it's amazing that this saga has been going on for that long but essentially uh, I, I think you know this will appoint a monitor an unelected monitor to have veto power over an elected school board uh, this school board happens to be made up majority of Orthodox Jews and this uh, this is obviously of concern to many people out there. And if it isn't of concern to many listeners out there, it should be for many reasons. And I can go into those a little bit later. Uh, or I can, you know, just, just the idea of having somebody unelected, having veto power over elected uh, people just, and this district being singled out of all the districts in the state, because there are many districts that have had problems uh, is in itself. But then that made its way through the uh, education committee. It was supposed to, I think, have been a closer vote than it was. And then the chancellor of the Board of Regents of the state of New York, who was actually the person who runs education in the state of New York, wrote a very provocative op-ed in the New York Times yesterday when a school board victimizes kids. And uh, I, I was hoping to maybe dissect that a little bit later in the show so as not to burden your tiny assemblyman. But talk about what is going on with these, this East Ramapo uh, monitor bill. Uh, the education tax credit can't go anywhere despite there being widespread support. This in itself seems to be awful public policy to go ahead for the state to appoint a monitor. It's extraordinary. But yet uh, it seems to have no problem passing uh, for many members in the assembly to support it. Right, so you know, there's a unique there's a unique issue at play here, and and not not to discuss the merits of the bill just yet, just let's just talk the fundamentals here. So by and large, um, you know, when when a when a bill or a piece of legislation is considered a local issue, um, the majority of members will defer to the local members. You know, if it's if it's a uh, if it's a Rockland County issue such as you know the East Rampo issue, then they will defer to the Rockland County members who are who are either championing or or opposing the legislation and they will defer to them. So, you know, if if there's a groundswell of support from within a community, you know, then you know, most members will not necessarily um let their own biases, so to speak, um Cloud their judgment. They'll they'll just go along with whatever the 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 local legislator wants. And I think to a certain extent that's what's at play here. I think a lot of people, um, at least early on, had this feeling that this was important to you know a local or a couple of local legislators, and therefore you know who are they to question it? Um, and I think, I think part of that was also sponsors, because there was a lack uh... of understanding of the, the you know the school board's side of the story. Um, you know, I, 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 I can tell you honestly, when I first got involved in this issue, um, 
I didn't understand either side of the, of the facts, and I honestly didn't care. I didn't want to be involved. I didn't want to know about it until I started looking at it, and, and you know, purely from a from a from a from a, uh, a policy standpoint, this bill is is. I mean, it is, it's dangerous, in my opinion. You know, here you have a, a democratically elected and, and recently reelected body, governing body, that, that, you know, we may disagree with or you may disagree with on certain issues. And the way to rectify that, and by the way, there's no, there haven't been any accusations of criminality. There haven't been any charges brought. There's no, there's no, you know, there, there hasn't been any financial, uh, uh, shenanigans as far as I know that have, that have been, you know, um, alleged here, and then you're going to import. You're going, to, you're going to say, "Oh, well, we disagree with what you have to say, and therefore we're going to impose a monitor on you to make sure that we can unilaterally overturn what it is that you want to do." I, I, I mean, I, I think to me that's a precedent we shouldn't even be contemplating at this point. Um, you know, and it's something, unfortunately, that. Many people don't don't realize this bill is going to do. You know, I, I think it's been couched, you know, very, very um, delicate, not delicately, but 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 very purposefully by the supporters, and 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 most people are not paying attention and are not are not taking the time to, you know, really understand the intricacies of the bill, and that's, you know, and I don't blame them. You know, they, there's there's stuff that's important to their constituents, to their community. But you know, I, I, I as a as an elected official feel it's important to the to the to, to the entire um, body that we not make this mistake, that we not set this precedent, and not say, you know, what democratically elected uh, governing bodies can be, you know, unilaterally overturned just based on you know the whims or desires of an opposition who, you know, may or may not have been involved in the election and lost. Right. Well, the, that's you know, that's kind of the way it works. But but let me just ask you about the larger issue here of and, and I've heard this out there and I've heard this when I've been in Albany that of the orthodox agenda. And I, I don't want to you know, we're, we're both you know, we're both members of the tribe. We're both uh, identifiably orthodox. So I, I don't want to. Uh, get myself into trouble by, you know, uh, going ahead and saying something as if it's sinister. But there are people out there, it seems, in the corridors and the halls of, of, of power in the Capitol who seem to feel that there is this very narrow-minded orthodox agenda out there. And, you know, the orthodox want this, they want that, they want that. They want, they want too much. And, you know, it's, I find it amazing that Instead of looking at the relative merits of things uh, and whether these are things are good policy, it's a referendum on whether on how close you are or how you view the Orthodox community. Right. So, so I can tell you, you know, uh, at least one or two of my colleagues have have come out and maybe not publicly, but have privately said that they will not support the bill for that very reason. You know, because because it has been turned into a a, a quote unquote religious war or, or or us versus them or you know we don't like this because the Jews are taking over you know that so that that message has actually resonated with some of the members um, you know but for me 
you know, and, and I've had this conversation with the bill sponsor. You know, for me, it's not about Jews versus non-Jews. I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to get bogged down in the racial tension or the, or the religious tension because that's, that's just not beneficial to anybody. It's not, it's not going to help the situation. It is not going to prevent a potential catastrophe from happening. The problem here is it is bad policy. It is, it is, it is a wrong way to go. The fact, the fact that it's, that it's, you know that that many feel that it's tinged with with anti-Semitism is just is just icing on the cake. You know, he, here you have here you have you know a bad piece of legislation that creates a tremendously bad precedent that has tremendous racial and ethnic and and religious undertones attached to it. It boggles my mind why we would even be discussing this. Right. So, so and then that's the question: is why. Is it? Why has this become a cause celeb for so many people? Why is the chancellor of the border region singling out this district above all others? Why it seems, and the reports are, that the governor is supportive of this bill. He was the one who originally appointed the monitor, uh, not the monitor, the the fact finder, Hank Greenberg, originally, whose report uh, I have tremendous issues with just on a factual basis. But, uh, but I, you know, why has this become the one of the hot issues, one of the biggest issues when it really pertains to a very small piece of the uh, of of very small part of the state. Additionally, in this bill, and I've said this over and over, there is nothing in there. There's no carrot. There's only stick. There's no money. There's no state aid. There's no change in the formula. If you if if you look at this overall and you step back for a second, if this district had the extra thirty million dollars a year estimated that it would get if Orthodox or, or I'm sorry, yeshiva students or non-public school students were counted in fund, in funding formulas, they'd probably be able to solve most of the problems. Right. And right. the scarcity of funding Absolutely. is why. But they're not Absolutely. doing that. Nobody is proposing to give them thirty million dollars more a year. Correct. Correct. It's it's and, and if you look at the and if you look at the funding formulas that have been, uh, you know, sort of presented by the uh, by the school board members, I mean, it's it's they're they're getting they're getting you know shortchanged constantly. You know, we talk about education dollars. You know, here's here's a prime example of a district that is, I mean, from from appearances, from at least from what I've seen. Um, you know, is getting shortchanged year after year and is being asked to do, quote unquote, do more with less. Um, and there is no, there is no, there is no talk about increasing their funding, you know, the base aid. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, people point to Roosevelt. Well, you know what, when, when they appointed, you know, when, when, when they, when the state did what they did in Roosevelt, they added $50 million to, to the pool. You know, it was, it was, it was a much different situation. And again, you're talking about a, a district here that, you know, you know. Apparently, you know, to, 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 from the information that I've seen, has no failing schools. You know, is not. There's no. There's no talk about. Uh, you know, people putting money in their pocket and, and steal. You know, so like it, it is. It is mind-boggling. And to answer your question, why this has taken such, you know, flight within within the legislature, I, I'm. I, I don't know that I have an answer. I can't tell you why the governor or or or, or the chancellor. Um, you know, the, why the regions feel the way they do, um, you know, it's, it's unfortunate. Um, I can tell you that I know the Senate has, has said that this is a non-starter in their house, at least for the time being. Um, and in the assembly, it's, you know, it's a question of, unfortunately, 
here we have a a a member or a group of members who have who have advanced a piece of legislation that I think is fundamentally flawed but they've made they've made it into a local issue and said you know you have you know how can you oppose this this is important to my community to my constituents i need to get this done and it's resonated it's it's so you know also let, let me just let me just point out just because it passed the 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 education committee does not necessarily mean it is going to get to the floor of the assembly um you know i am hopeful that that it won't you know there was there was talk at, well, at that back in march there was talk back in March of, of this being included in the Assembly's um, budget resolution. You know, within the budget, each, you know, the governor puts out his executive budget, then, then the Assembly and the Senate pass their resolutions, you know, indicating what they would like to see, and then eventually it's all negotiated. There was talk about this being included in the Assembly's one-house resolution, and, you know, there, was, there, were, there were a number of meetings held with the Speaker, and I, I think the Speaker was, was enlightened on the issues and, and the controversy here, and it was not included in the one house budget. You know, so, you know, it's possible, and I, I don't know, I honestly, I can't comment on, on the politics here because I don't know how it got onto the education agenda. I don't know whose decision it was to put it on the education agenda and, and advance it through the committee. Um, you know, but it still has to go, you know, now that we're at the end of the session, almost everything has to go through the rules committee, you know, which has got to have probably you know, based on my limited knowledge of, of the agenda, there, there there are probably hundreds, if not over a thousand bills sitting in the rules committee right now. Um, and clearly in the last two weeks of session, not all of them are going to make it onto the agenda or make it onto the floor. And just because it passes rules doesn't mean it makes it onto the calendar. You know, there are only so many hours left in a day. We're not necessarily going to be able to get to all those bills. So, I mean, listen, I am I am tremendously disappointed that this made this that it even made it onto the agenda in the education committee. Forget about getting out. Um, but I'm still hopeful that we can, you know, impress upon the speaker and the leadership that this is not something that we should be taking up on, on the floor of the assembly, you know, and, and, you know, one of the arguments that I've made, um, and I know some of my colleagues have made, you know, they've, and not to get back to the education tax credit issue, you know, one, one of the points that has been made over and over again is, there are, there are, you need, a, you need 76 votes to pass a bill in the New York State Assembly. You know, so, so many on the opposition side of, of, a, of a bill will say, well, you know, we as a conference, meaning the Democratic majority, should not bring a bill to the floor unless we know we have 76 Democratic votes. You know, and I mean, I happen to disagree with that. I happen to believe that if the, if the majority of the conference supports something, then the conference should do it, but Let's put that aside. You know, so, so that, that sort of barometer and, and, and that requirement has been put on bills that certain people disagree with. I think it should be applied to this bill as well. And I think the bill should be conferenced. I think the, con- the Democratic conference should discuss this bill. And we should see. Are there 76 votes? I'm willing, I'm, I'm willing to bet that they don't have the 76, that there aren't 76 Democrats willing to say, Yes, I want to do this bill. And, you know, whether that happens or not, I don't know. I'm hopeful it's just put on a shelf somewhere and we don't discuss it. But those of us who are opposed to this bill are not, are not, are not kidding ourselves. And we, you know, we know we have to do our, our, our and we have to, and we have to make the case that this is a bad bill and we should not be doing it. 
That's right. Well, thank you, Assemblyman Samanowitz. Thanks for giving us the inside scoop on what's been going on. I think this issue, whether you live in Rockland or not, whether you are pleased or happy or with what you read in the papers regarding the East Ramapo School District or not, uh, this type of bill, this type of intervention is bad public policy. And I think there's no question that it is singling out a single district. And you can out there can kind of guess what the reasons are, why this would be the only district uh, subjected no to such treatment. So, uh, Michael Samanowitz, thanks for joining us here on Spin Class. Uh, and uh, good luck in the last two weeks. Uh, hopefully we'll, we'll get an update as uh, from you as things uh, come to a close. And maybe we'll Absolutely. have some answers to some of these hot button issues. Absolutely. Okay, this is Spin Class. Uh, we're talking politics and a uh, little political commentary. I haven't done that much of it or enough of it, I should say. But this week, I, ha- I it, it kind of came to me. I kind of understood the whole Obama-Israel dynamic. And it came to me out of his speech uh, that he gave to Adas Israel, one of the oldest uh, and most prestigious conservative synagogues in the country, located in uh, – uh, Washington DC and it was a heavily democratic audience of people who were selected by the White House to talk and, you know, it was kind of the why am I not an anti-Semite speech? And I really hate those speeches. I talked about that with Rand Paul a couple weeks ago, why I hate the I'm not an anti-Semite. I, I think in general, the, the anti-Semite thing is, is just overdone. And I, I, whatever you want to ascribe Obama's motivations for his policies vis-a-vis Israel, which I don't agree with at all, and I don't agree with his foreign policy in general, uh, in the larger context of the Middle East, Israel specifically being a piece of that, I, I think that it's all tied together and his worldview. But I kind of got it. It came to me, and it was an interview with not – he did an interview with Jeffrey Goldberg of The Atlantic before that. But then Goldberg was was got, went ahead and was interviewed by Foreign Policy afterward. And then there were the comments also from David Axelrod that he gave to Israel's Channel 2 that my friend Jacob Kornblue picked up in JP Updates uh, where Obama said for people to say that I'm anti-Israel or even worse, anti-Semitic, it hurts because you know – This is what Axelrod paraphrasing, you know, I think I am the closest thing to a Jew that has ever sat in the office, the president said. So I that's that's great. That's amazing. If Obama considers himself the closest thing to a Jew, uh, that's wonderful that he has and feels solidarity with Jewish people. And I think that's absolutely wonderful. But if we think about that for a second. What kind of Jew, and not in the label sense, but what kind of, you know, Jew, people who are Jewish feel that they have this license to go ahead and, you know, just carte blanche to go ahead and be critical of Israel, uh, because, well, I'm Jewish. I can, you know, I can't call me anti-Semitic because I'm Jewish. And therefore I can be critical of Israel's policies. But in, in a way, uh, Jeffrey Goldberg kind of hit the nail on the head for me. He said, my theory of the Netanyahu-Obama relationship is that Netanyahu looks at uh, – sorry, that Obama looks at Netanyahu and asks himself, what kind of Jew is this? And because he looks at Netanyahu as being a bad Jew. This is not – he's not the he's not the right type of Jew. We need a better type of Jew who's less militant, or who's less uh, – who, who's more tolerant, who's more accepting. And that's why Obama was, I think, so offended by uh, uh, Netanyahu's purported comments about the Arabs voting because, you know, we don't like racist Jews. But really, 
isn't the president, if he considers himself Jewish, and I know this is getting to be a little bit absurd, but I'm kind of putting together his own words. He ignores, he's ignoring the basic fact that Israelis are not American Jews. American Jews are different. I think by and large, the American Jewish community is far more liberal and far more interested in issues other than Israel. And a lot of Israelis are worried about their existential existence. Or existen- That's a double. Uh, but they're worried about their existence. And Israel is just more conservative country, as evidenced by voting. It's not that Netanyahu is a fringe Jewish person. I mean, you might not like him. You might not appreciate him. You might not feel. But a lot of Israelis trusted him to run the country. There's no question that Likud got 30 votes in the Knesset. And he was able to form a government and that's their democratic prerogative. So when Obama says, well, I don't like Netanyahu as a Jew, he's really taking him to a standard that he wouldn't take any other world leader because he's saying, well, you know, you're, you're like my brother. You're, we're both Jewish. And so therefore, uh, you have that. And, and I got to tell you, I think it's, it, it, it kind of got it all to me in a nutshell here. This is just, yeah, that's the problem. And that, that's why Obama just can't handle the U.S. Israel relationship. He can't, divorce himself from it and looked at it objectively. Uh, and I think that that is, uh, you know, that's really where it comes from. So now I want to, I want to move to Rand Paul for a second, not to beat up on Rand Paul over and over, but I will tell you, uh, and I've gotten feedback from my last uh, discussion of Rand Paul is that there are people who really agree with this guy. There are people who really feel that he has a point when he says that ISIS only comes about, only came about, and the, the, the mess in the Middle East came about because of bad American foreign policy, uh, because we, we removed Gaddafi and uh, Mubarak and Saddam Hussein from power. We'd be better off, and the world would be better off with them in power. I think it's absolute, utter nonsense. But Rand Paul takes it a step further. So, uh, Avrami, if you have that clip, uh, let's let's cue that clip right now, first one. Lindsey Graham would say ISIS exists because of people like Rand Paul, who said, let's not go into Syria. And what I, do you say I, to Lindsey? I would say it's exactly the opposite. ISIS exists and grew stronger because of the hawks in our party who gave arms indiscriminately, and most of those arms were snatched up by ISIS. These hawks also wanted to bomb Assad, which would have made ISIS's job even easier. They created these people. ISIS is all over Libya because these same hawks in my party loved, they loved Hillary Clinton's war in, in in Libya, they just wanted more of it. But Libya is a failed state, and it's a disaster. Iraq really is a failed state. We're a vassal state now of Iran. So everything that they've talked about in foreign policy, they've been wrong about for 20 years, and yet they have somehow the gall to keep saying and pointing fingers other, other, otherwise. Let's- okay, so there's Rand Paul talking uh, on Morning Joe to uh, former Congressman Joe Scarborough, and. His basic thing is, well, any intervention really leads to disaster. We can't go ahead and intervene anywhere because now Rand Paul actually did not oppose arming Syrian rebels initially. He actually supported that, which is incredible because now he's saying that the blame needs to go because they they end up getting weapons. I think what happened in Iraq is absolutely uh, is is incredibly bad, not from a policy perspective, from execution perspective. Sometimes the policy can be okay, but the execution is poor. And I think that that is a, I think there's no question that we would be better off as a world without, uh, without Bashar Assad in power. And one of the reasons I think that Bashar Assad is still in power is because the United States did not intervene. You can't look at Syria as an intervening state. We just didn't do that. And I, I, again, I'm kind of puzzled by the Hillary's war in Libya. Uh, and then he goes a little bit further, I think, off the fringe, uh, Rand Paul. Let's get that second clip of Rami. 
people here in town think I'm making a huge mistake. Some of them, I think, secretly want there to be an attack on the United States so they can blame it on me. One of the people in the media the other day came up to me and said, Oh, well, when there's a great attack, aren't you going to feel guilty that you caused this great attack? I'm speechless. It's just incredible that a sitting United States senator would talk like that. Now, yes, he was discussing very important things with regard to the Patriot Act. And I think there was an incredible tension out there about listening and eavesdropping and collecting data from Americans and eavesdropping on their phone calls. And I think it's worthy of debate. It's worthy of talking about. But does he really believe that there are people out there who want there to be another attack just to prove him wrong? That's just some incredible hubris that you would think about, that you would that you would even ascribe that people would say, wow, I'd really like there to be another 9-11 so I can blame Rand Paul for it so that he won't become president. That's a really inflated view of yourself. I have to say, I, I, I just, this man should not be president of the United States. I think he has a perspective. I think I, I, I think his libertarian tendencies are good for the party. I think his, his overall, I think he's good for the debate. I think that there are important points that he makes, but this kind of, this kind of discussion and the way he, he, it just seems to be antagonistic towards his colleagues on this and other people who disagree with him to say such a provocative statement is so irresponsible. It's so off the bat. And I, I, I can't keep hearing from people, particularly in the Jewish community, people who, who know that when America really steps back and disappears from the world, uh, we, it, it is bad. It's bad for Israel. Uh, I think that there's no question that th- this isolationism of Rand Paul is, is creeping in there. And, you know, he, you need to look no further than the front cover of Army Magazine last week where Rand Paul was featured. So, uh, folks, uh, that's another Thursday night in the books, but we really gotta, we really gotta think about our priorities as a community. We really gotta think about these candidates and really talk about from, from a policy perspective. I know we didn't get to Hillary this week. Uh, we'll have to do that. Uh, Bill de Blasio and, uh, and, and, and the like. A number of Democrats have gotten in the race. And so we will, as the time progresses, talk about it all so much at stake so much going on thanks for listening here on the Nachum Siegel Network we will see you next week 